0: Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined, as always, by Will Schroeder, my friend, the founder and CEO of Startups.com. Will, we've done a lot of podcast episodes. This is like 215 or something, but there's something that we've done even more than podcasts, which is buildstartups.com. Man, we have been at this now for 11 years. We are at the 11-year anniversary mark, which feels incredible. So uh, let's pause for crowd applause. I said a moment of silence. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, (laughs) a moment of silence. A moment of silence for the sacrifices. But uh, yeah, man, 11 years, 11 Mm -hmm. years, which is a great segue in today's episode where we're going to be talking about how time and the ability to be around is perhaps the greatest asset that, that any founder has. As you think back through our history, man, what if we hadn't had the luxury of time? How different would this look if we hadn't built this with the intention of being able to be around for the long-term if we'd had to figure shit out in like the first six, 12, 18, 24 months? Well, you and I would still be around. We'd
1: just be talking about our 15th company. (laughs) I I think in terms of, let's say like in the early days, uh, like 11 years ago, when we launched startups.com, but our first product was Fundable. And how that would have gone, had that been our only lifeline business, et cetera, and what I mean by that is like, it's circa 2012. It's the dawn of crowdfunding. And for those that you remember who were around that era, there was a new crowdfunding site launching like every nine minutes. There were more crowdfunding sites <laughs> launching than people actually <laughs>
0: crowdfunding. It was incredible. Yeah. There were people crowdfunding the launch of crowdfunding sites. It was like that at that point.
1: That year, 2012, when we launched Fundable, we had minimum 30 viable competitors. Viable yes. meaning yeah, yeah. funded, launched, etc. Yep. 30, not like three. And we looked at that and we said, man, again, who knows how this shakes out? Who knows if crowdfunding is even going to become a thing? And it sort of did, it sort of didn't, but that's here nor there. But our whole thing was... We have like a bigger mission here. We're just trying to help startups out and funding is one way to do it. We kind of need to be around long enough to see this through because this is going to take a minute. What do we do? And, and I think at that point, we started to really shift and expand the purview of our model to say, look, it's not just about funding, etc. It's about helping startups as a whole. So what are all the different things that we can do? And what are all the different ways we can make money which was uh, heretical at the time. Like, it was uh, make money. Yeah. What are you talking about, right? <laughs> you mean gather users endlessly, right? <laughs> yeah, and we are like, how do we actually create something sustainable and profitable again so we can be around long enough to actually see this thing through? And while that sounds obvious, like this whole concept of revenue minus expense equals profit, it's not. And if you you look at all the other startup graveyard headstones, uh, tombstones that we've accumulated over the years with all these competitors, it's nuts. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, look, I think we had the luxury of having done this a number of times, one. And then I think what we did that was really great was that we fell in love with our who. Like, we knew we wanted to work for founders. Yeah. And we, and that was, that was, you know, inflexible. We were like, okay, that's it. But we didn't fall in love with any particular solution. Right? We knew who we wanted to help and we knew there was a massive set of problems that they would encounter uh, across their journey as a founder. And we stayed there, right? And we let that be the North star, not here's the product category that we picked, that's it, right? crowdfunding, crowdfunding is it, and this is all we'll ever do. And we're going to be great at it and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And there's just that the market didn't come together the way we thought it would, right? And so fortunately for us, we weren't in love with crowdfunding. We were in love with what crowdfunding could do for founders. When we found out that it wasn't going to do exactly what we thought for founders, we said, okay, well, let's keep going. We still want to help founders, but we have to help them in different ways now. So I think that was critical to, to our decision-making at that point.
1: I think what we could talk about today, though, and really kind of dig into this is how the concept of time or having essentially unlimited runway, which is another way of looking yes. at it, how creating unlimited runway, no matter how modest that might even be, fundamentally changes your ability to compete and grow and develop As a company, as a startup, we're 11 years deep, not because we did anything special. That's what I really want to point out. I mean, we worked hard, et cetera, but so did a lot of other people. What we did differently was we focused on longevity and sustainability and survivability above all else, which prevented us from doing a lot of things. You know, and maybe that would have made us a bigger company. Not that really matters, but like that could have been the case or more likely would have
0: bankrupted us. Could have done both, made us bigger first and bankrupted us later. Plenty of examples of that out there right now. So
1: let's talk about the different
0: pieces around what just creating
1: some survivability actually buys you and kind of what it bought us. We'll use our own story and kind of walk through what worked for us. And I think for folks listening, particularly now because funding is drying up and everything else like that, a lot of founders are thinking about things differently. And they're thinking in terms of, hey, I don't want to be on the fundraising cycle where every 12 to 18 months I die and get reborn again. How do I do this differently? So I would say the first thing we looked at was we are militant about our finances. We are militant about our finances. Like, like We don't take anything for granted. When the business even starts dipping into the red
0: 1%, we freak out. So financial discipline helped a lot. I and mean, we're getting into surviving bad bets. Oh, it's an absolute superpower. I mean, you and I have both chased down what look like meaningless expenses in a vacuum, but at, taken as a whole, right, that adds up, right? And so yeah, it's oh, these absolutely. kind of things. These, these disciplines are what allow you to stick around, right? And to your point, like being able to To be around for the long term is what what really matters here, right? to be able to to ride through those those various waves. I mean, we're riding through a wave right now in the macroeconomic environment, and it's unlikely to just smooth out anytime soon. So building that resiliency really matters. So let's talk about something really specific here though, in that like, what were some of the things that we did that we had to survive, that were decisions of our own, right? We've made some bets. Every startup company has to make bets and they're not all gonna be great, right? I think the problem is when you're not built in a resilient way, when you're, you're not capable of surviving those bets, that's when you run into trouble, right? When you make a bet, when you truly bet the farm, or in this case, you bet the startup, you're putting yourself in this insane binary situation where it works great, and if it doesn't, we're we're gone. And I think we've been really good at not only picking good bets, but being Very cognizant of how to navigate the bad ones, because that's just as important, right? You cannot predict which bets are going to work. That's why they're called bets. You have to be able to predict what happens on the downside. I think everybody gets excited about upside of startup bets. And not enough people are paying attention to what happens if this goes wrong in the unlikely event of a water <laughs> landing. <right? laughs> well, OK, so, so look at it like this. So
1: rewind back to what we were talking about with Fundable. So circa 2012, crowdfunding is all the rage. It looks like it's going to fundamentally change how, how startups get funded. And so we go all in on that as kind of call it product one, phase one of how we want to help startups. Within 18 months, probably less, we realized it was a bad bet. Okay, Now, many startups, a lot of folks listening who either maybe have had startups in the past or have one that's feeling this right now, you kind of know when you're there, when you're looking around going, you know, the signals that are usually good kind of aren't happening. And to give it some color, here's what it looked like for us at that time. We launched crowdfunding site and we start to notice a few things going wrong. And I just want to give it, again, some some color. One is that you've got some breakout hits, like a few companies are raising and doing really well and they are by far the outliers and everyone else is doing next to nothing, right? It was like, like, if you had letter grades, you had a handful of A's, a sprinkle of B's and all F's right? As far as people trying to raise. Yep. The second thing was we assumed that it would create a lot more investors. It did not. It created yep. almost zero new investors. In other words, we didn't create more money than otherwise existed. And that was a problem. Because at that point, all you're saying is the same number of people are writing checks. They're just going to either find it first off of fundable.com or from somebody that they meet off the street, right? But we haven't changed the supply. So with that said, we start going, shit, this was kind of a bad bet, right? We can help in a certain way, but it's not gonna be like the big massive growth engine it needs to be. So what do we do? We said, well, let's find other ways to make money. So we created a consulting arm. We're doing pitch decks and things like that and helping people with the fundraising process. And that helped. We started buying other companies like Lawn Truck, like Clarity, et cetera, to diversify our SaaS revenue. And that helped. We started making sure we didn't double our investments in Fundable because it wasn't going anywhere, right? <laughs> right? So that helped. And I guess what I'm saying is like, we look for a step, how do we survive? How do we make sure we're around long enough? And then we'll figure this stuff out. But that was a bad bet. It wasn't like, it was a good idea. It just turned into a bad bet. And if that's all we had banked on, which we'll talk about this in a minute, which all of our other competitors did, they banked on the one thing and that was it. We'd have been done for it, that. That would have been game over for us. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. None of them are podcasting about anything they're doing with those businesses right now. <laughs> right. right? They might be on podcasts talking about how it all went wrong right, and, and about the, the badness of the bet. But yeah, the key differentiator there again was like, we were able to see that. And we said like, look, we still wanna be in this space. We still wanna help founders, but there are other ways of helping them, right? So fall in love with your problem, fall in love with your who, don't fall in love with your what, right? This is where we get stuck, right? When we just get so solution oriented and we just love how we're gonna solve this problem in the world so much, it doesn't work, right? We just cared about accelerating founders journeys and funding is one way of doing that. Kind to your point, when we did not see all of these brand new magical check writers appear from the mist and begin writing checks, we realize, look, the best we can do here is democratize this a bit and we'll do that. And that'll be great. That will help some founders, but it's, it's not what everybody thought it was, right? That bet that we all predicated on, one of the big bets there was there will be more people writing checks, right? Your auntie's gonna start writing checks. Your, your dentist is gonna start writing checks. They just didn't do it.
1: Well, so the other side of it is, again, talking to the types of bad bets, it's, you know, that was a product yeah. bad bets. That's just one yep. category. Another was is personnel bad bets. And I think this is something that plagues
0: everyone, everybody, especially early stage.
1: Yeah, in our decade plus, we have hired and let go of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people right now. Ideally, you'd hire the, the you know your first team and they'd just be fantastic, etc. Now that said, you and Ellie and Gaka and a whole bunch of, have been here decade plus, right? So there were a lot of people you know th- that came on board and were able to kind of go the distance. But generally speaking, you don't in a short window. If you're talking like eighteen to thirty-six months tops, you don't have a lot of room to make a lot of bad bets. If you hire a CTO and fourteen months into it, which isn't very long. It turns out this just a bad hire for whatever reason, doesn't even matter. Now you have to go replace C or CTO and bring in new CTO and hope that person works. By the time you do that, you're probably out of money, right, or damn near close to it. That's one bad bet. We've made hundreds, right? So the survivability, in our case, if we make a, a bad hire, we're like, okay, it, it'll cost us maybe 12 to 18 months depending on the tenure of the hire. But we'll be around in 12 to 18 months after that to go find the right person. Unless you're only gonna be around for two to three years like most startups are. Those bets are everything. And not being no, able to, sure. to rebound from them is painful. I can't fathom if all of our longevity at the time or success at the time was based on only the people that we had hired in 2012 right? We weren't even the organization that we needed to be to be able to pay enough for people you know, to get at a high enough level, etc. We would have been screwed by default. The only way we survived was being able to survive. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay that's kind of what we're here to do we talk about this stuff on the show but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com so if any of this sounds familiar stop guessing about what to do let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it
0: yeah and like that takes Tough decisions that takes being scrappy, that takes a lot of fortitude on the part of the team, and recognizing when the team's not right. We've we've done an entire podcast on this notion that, and, and look, this happens. This happens across all areas of the startup. The startup company can outgrow the people that are there, and sort of necessitously does in a lot of cases. Right, that first team that you bring on is kind of like the MVP of of your personnel. Right, these are the people who are going to help get it off the ground. Rarely are those also the same people that are going to take it to you know Series A and then into the stratosphere. It just doesn't usually work that way because you couldn't attract those people in the beginning. They weren't fit for purpose. Also, just the needs of the business change over time so much that we have to be willing to look at those. Some of those are short-term bets. I I think that when we're young, starry-eyed founders or just early founders uh, in a business, we want everybody to be around forever. And I think that's one of those places where we place that bet and we're like, this is a permanent bet. I am betting on you forever. (laughs) It's not the right mindset to have. you are like, you are what we need and we are what you need right now for this moment in time. And that needs to be constantly reevaluated, right? I think that's the personnel bets, I think are perhaps some of the most dangerous because unlike a lot of other things that you can change, There are personalities involved. There are people's emotions, feelings involved. There are people's families involved. And so these tend to be some of the worst bets because they're really hard to unwind. Emotionally, they're really hard to unwind. Agreed. And so all of these bets were the product
1: bets, personnel bets, we've got marketing bets that we make. We had a a ton of bets that we make, right? Marketing's a great example of where you have to make a lot of bad bets to find out what the good bets even are. All the time, yep. But every one of those, especially if they string together as a series of bad bets, a product bad bet, team bad bet, marketing bad bet, et cetera, you're not going to be around very long. The way we've always looked at this is, look, job one is survive. Right, So any bet that we make, it has to be something we can either unwind or survive from, or we can't make it. Now that prevents us from making a lot of bets. There's a lot of things we can't do. And we're pretty, pretty cowboy folks when it comes to you know being aggressive about things. But we always look at it going, Okay, if this does work great, there's not you know there's not much to worry about. But if it doesn't work, this hire doesn't work, can we be around? So the survivability was a big deal. Now, when we look at this over a long enough period of time and we start to compare it to our competition, we get to see what happens when you don't put a survivability first. yeah in the eleven years that we've been around, we've had so many competitors because we also have lots of products. Right. You know, we've got everything from LaunchRock to Zirtual to Clarity to you know startups.com. So lots of people in lots of categories. And everybody's come from us for us at some point, right? Directly, indirectly, etc. Like not three months goes by where somebody doesn't pop up as a competitor to one of our spaces. And I want to be clear. We're okay what we do, right? I'm not suggesting that we're the best by any means, but the difference is we're really stable, <laughs> yeah. like.
0: We've outlived a lot of potential usurpers to whatever throne we have, you know? It's like the same
1: playbook every time. It looks something like this, and, and you can appreciate this more than anybody, so this is really for our audience. Here's the playbook. New company comes out with a head of steam, right? They've raised some money, they've got a new take on this whole thing, and the incumbents, you know, what a bunch of dinosaurs. And they go in and they go guns blazing, spending money. Ryan's our CMO. So he sees it first. He'll see it in search and and everywhere else. And they'll go guns blazing, raising money or or spending money. Right. And they're all over social and they're running press releases and they're chest pounding like crazy as you should. The whole time we're looking at that going see you never.
0: Yeah. (laughs) When the dust settles and you're gone. Yeah. yeah.
1: Call us in two years when you want to sell the asset to us, right? <laughs> it's yeah, the exactly. same. And, and I know that sounds terrible. It's just, it's fairly consistent.
0: That's our lived history. Yeah, that's exactly it. We're not, we're not guessing. We're not speculating. This is just what we've seen over and over. The one that cracks me up the most, man, it's probably the one you're thinking of is competitors for clarity. They pop up constantly. Yeah. Every nine seconds. And they, they always have, like, again, yeah, like the same playbook there, they will come after us in terms of like, they'll, they'll try to recruit us to a platform, often from the very platform they're trying to compete with. They go there and they're like, hey, let's just go scrape their users, right? Including their founding team. Yeah. <laughs> cool, right? That's yeah. right, try to get all your experts, right? And then the same thing happens every time, right? They manage to get a little bit of activity, a little bit of groundswell, and then just, it just goes away. It's become almost comical at this point. I often feel like, hey, look, can I, can I join your board of advisors? It'll be a short-term gig. And I tell you how this ends, right? We just need five minutes. <laughs> well, like I'll give you an example. So years ago, like
1: seven or eight years ago, we bought Zirtual.com, the virtual assistant business. And since then, there have been about 9,000 competitors to Zirtual. Here's why. Everyone assumes it's a super easy business that you just hire some VAs, you arbitrage, you know, between the um, the VA and and the client. And guess what? We're gonna add something new. We're gonna add AI. We're gonna add yeah. like a mobile app. We're gonna add whatever, right? Yep. And everybody comes through. Everybody spends a ton of dough. They raise a ton of dough, and they're all dead. Now, is it to say that that Zirtual is the best and cannot be top? Not necessarily, right? I'm just being clear. Like, yeah, we're good at what we do, but that has nothing to do with why they failed they failed because they didn't understand the longevity. It didn't even occur to them to stop back and say, hmm, we're spending three times as much as Virtual is on paid. Yeah. Maybe there's a reason they don't spend three times as much. <laughs> I,
0: right. I can tell when there Virtual competitors now, it's, it's like a disturbance in the force at this point. I can just feel it because I'm like, I, I see our CPCs creep up a little bit, right? I see our impression share fall off a little bit. And I'm like, must be a new competitor this week, right? And then they're there for like, it's almost always like a quarter and and then it just disappears, right? That runway runs out and then they're gone. And so for us, a a big part
1: of it, again, we wanna make sure we're building great products and we're keeping ahead of the market and things like that, absolutely. But you gotta understand there's another part of us that's also like, yeah, but we'll outlive you, right? Yes, it's cute that you just raised a bunch of money and yes, it's cute that you're spending a bunch of money and you know getting press and, and, and getting a bunch of accolades. That's awesome. Again, as founders, that's what you're supposed to do. However, unless you can make it past year three, four, and five, call me then, right? Because anybody can raise money and spend money. You haven't accomplished a thing, right? The difference is when you're around in year five, or like in our case, in year eleven. That's the hard thing to do, right? Just launching and spending money, yeah, anybody can do that, and they do <laughs> literally poorly. They
0: do, yeah. It's like a boxing match. It's like it's a it's like a boxer that comes out and, and has to win in the first round or two. Yeah. Right? How many yeah. of those do you know that have become champions? Very few, right? That's just not how it works. You have to be able to go into the later rounds, the later innings, the later whatever you want to pick here, because that's where the learnings come from. That's where the, the core competencies come from. It's where learning how to survive things that might be cyclical that once you've seen them four, five, six, seven times, you can plan for them. When you're catching the first round in any cycle, and that's enough to throw you off kilter. That can that can put you out of business, right? If you've got a runway that you have to adhere to, and there's a finite amount of time before you got to pull up, you get hit with something cyclical, that can be the end, right? And that was just a an error in timing, not necessarily an execution or in your model or team or anything else. It's just a circumstance of time. And if you don't have time, there's no way to recover from that.
1: Yeah. And so I think that that dovetails into my next point, which would be it gives us the opportunity to think long term because when our our competition shows up and again, they show up all the time as they should. When our competition shows up, the first thing would be for us to freak out and and try to erect a bunch of defenses and, and et cetera. And while we do pay attention, it's not like we're not paying attention. While we do pay attention, it doesn't force us to immediately shift our focus. Because we're thinking long term, we have a very survivable business, a very stable business. In that long term, we have the opportunity to be able to say, okay, you know, this one company is kind of, you know, ruffling our feathers a little bit. But what are we really still trying to do long term? So in our case, with with founders, we want to help people build startups. And like you said earlier, Ryan, there's a whole bunch of ways we can do that. Right? And over time, our business will continue to evolve over the decades. It'll change form factors all the time in what it is that we want to do to help founders. What we don't have to do is rely on a single widget or a single novel idea, like crowdfunding. And if that doesn't work, I guess we're done. Right. So be able to have that, that stability, let's just think long term. Let's just think like you said, fall in love with your customer. All we want to do is help founders what are all the different ways we can do that over time and and how do we plan in 5 and 10 year windows where we're building something significant that can kind of compound over time
0: yeah and you have to think over those time horizons we've talked about this a number of times on the yeah. podcast that that's the that's the time in which it takes to be successful and so when you make these other decisions that then completely eliminate your ability to think in that time scale, right? If you now have taken on funding, developed a burn rate, and you're looking at an 18-month runway, and you either got to raise funds or you're done, and then you run into an environment like we're in right now where the likelihood of that follow-on funding is less, or it's going to be really painful, it's going to be a down round, there's all these other things that come in. You don't have the ability, you can't think five years out if you have to think, what do we do to make it past this new binary gate of go, no go in 18 months? It just wipes that out. I see this all the time with founders, we're talking with them, and they cannot see beyond that next window, which, fine, like, look, you do have to make sure that you cross that. But you cannot allow that to pigeonhole your thinking into 18-month chunks or whatever our next milestone is because you're that much less likely to hit it or be building the right business, right? How many times have we seen this, Will, where people continue to hit that funding round, right? They're, they're able to keep going. And ultimately, you know, three, four, five rounds in, they fail. Why? Because they were planning a series of short-term campaigns without a long-term view of the business. And then they're just gone, when the funding finally dries up because they never got to where they needed to be because they were always short-term thinking, right? There's such an evil catch-22 at play there. And I hate to see founders get caught in that trap.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I I think that from an early, early days standpoint, yes, we're all focused on just what's right in front of us. And that makes sense, it's appropriate, right? And a certain amount of that discipline is good. But there also comes a point where that becomes all you're doing, is you're just constantly trying to feed the beast, and there isn't a longer-term vision. And what ends up happening is, like you were saying, you keep making these short-term decisions. Oh, this sounds cool. Hey, let's add AI to our name and rebrand the business so that maybe we'll raise money, right? It's like, that is short-term thinking, right? Let's try to get this one piece of press, because maybe you know that'll catch some investor's attention or customer's attention. It's like, that's short-term thinking. Long-term thinking is hey, the product we're trying to build will probably take three to five years to mature, but here are all the bets we can make along the way to help build that foundation brick by brick. So over the long-term, this becomes something of a, that has a tremendous amount of collective value. That's long-term thinking. You can do that when you're not so worried about how are we gonna make payroll next week? And the truth is, again, it's not like, like we make so much money we don't know what to do with it. We're just very diligent with our money. Right. And so every every decision we make says, okay, cool. We'd love to do 10 more things. We cannot. That's the discipline. Here's what we can do, given the budget and the resources that we have in, in our look on the economy and everything else like that. I don't see a lot of this. I see it in traditional businesses. Like traditional business owners, this is exactly how they think. It seems like kind of like a, a lost start among startups. You know what I mean?
0: It is. Well, and I think there's, you know, there, there is a difference between building a business and building a startup, but at some point a startup has to become a business. And I think this is where people get get this wrong is that they're they're not thinking about the, once this becomes a business, what does it do right how does this work and what are the 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 necessary transitory steps to get it there to your point when it's all short-term thinking right you're just going to lock yourself in startup mode you're never going to escape that necessitous kind of hunt to eat mentality and it's bad for you right it's bad for you it's bad for the business and it just it's going to arbitrarily limit where you can go with it right you have to i've said this in the podcast before we got to aim for the moon but you got to clear the fence but when you just get caught clearing the fence over and over and over and over again without really being clear on where you're going or what you're building towards or having the time to do so it's super super dangerous and the other thing that we hear a lot and this is again one of these kind of fallacies like look we just need to get some funding so we can go faster right we can go we can accelerate we can move faster and we can fail fast and all of those things right it sounds It doesn't even sound good to me, (laughs) but but a lot of people buy into this. And I think that the the danger there is that what you don't realize is that you are putting yourself in a situation where yes, you can go faster, but now you have to succeed faster, right? In the case of the long game, it doesn't matter when you succeed. The point is you will be around long enough to succeed. When we arbitrarily put ourselves in a scenario whereby we have to succeed by a certain date, it completely changes the amount of thinking that you're doing or the type of thinking that you're doing and where you're going with the business. So in addition to all the stuff related to
1: founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly finances. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.